Welcome to this week's edition of The Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host. Richie Brock. And on today's episode, we are back in studio together, Richie. Yep. And I can tell you're excited. Oh, I'm ready. I'm excited. Hopefully, we've got the audio issues from uh, the last episode, uh, the last big episode we had. Hopefully, we've got that figured out. I think that we do. I think that we've got it uh, knocked out. We did a few tests before we actually came on air today and everything seemed to be fine in the test so hopefully the audio does not double like it did the last time so we spaced out our microphones a little bit more this time so but on today's edition of the sword and staff richie and i are going to be beginning a new three-part series on the topic of how christianity re-enchants everything and so uh, make sure to become a patron to get the full uncut version of what we're going to be discussing here today. You can become a patron for just $5 per month over at www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order. So for just $5 a month, you can get the full uncut version of what we're going to say here today all of those episodes have at least 30 more minutes of extra content that does not get released weekly on our uh, whatever podcast feed you may be listening to so if you want that uh, extra conversation at the end when richie and i usually save the good stuff for last uh, make sure to go sign up over at our patreon but uh, to get into today's topic uh, which is uh, how Christianity re-enchants our view of heaven and the spiritual beings that uh, reside there, um, we want to kind of begin by talking about why we think that this discussion is even necessary to begin with, right? This is something that's near and dear to my heart and to Richie's heart. It's something that he and I have been discussing in private for two years now, Yep. Um, we think that the 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 topic of reenchantment is something that is very very needed, and here's why: um, we live in what has been called a secular age, right? And basically, what that means it is a age that has been stripped of the sacred, right? We live in an age where heaven and earth certainly do not overlap with one another or interact with one another, right? And they're definitely not allowed to inform one another. Yeah, um, and. Uh, you can see that out there, right? You see that in things like the rise of the new atheism movement, you know, about a decade or so ago. And um, and unfortunately, we think that this has even influenced the church in some ways. Um, I, I don't know how it's possible to have a church that is secular in some sense, but we do, unfortunately. Yep, we do. Um, and, and you can really see that in things like... Um, not understanding the doctrine of God properly. Like, I think that a lot of evangelicals almost view God as, uh, it's, it's not a theistic view of God, of a God who is, you know, interacting with his creation, but rather it's kind of a deistic view of God where he's kind of far distant and removed from the creation. Um, and then you also see it reflected in things like, um, most Christians don't understand things like angels um, or if they do, like, even admit that there are something like, because I have mentioned, you know, see people who pretty much just, like, totally don't even really affirm the existence yep. of angels and things like that. Um, if they do, usually what you'll see is they, like, don't interact with the world in any way. They're kind of like God, right? He, they just kind of sit up on high and kind of watch things right. happen. Um, but that's really it. But um, we want to say that this is not, is not the biblical worldview. 
the biblical worldview is much more enchanted than this view of the world. So if you guys have similar views to that, this is the episode for you. This is an episode that is probably going to rock your world. And, um, good if it does if it does that's that's excellent that's what it's here for um but we think that this is so necessary just because um well we've we've talked about this in some chin wags too um the we're, we're beginning to realize that um we can't continue to live life this way, right? It's called the meaning crisis. You know, uh, a life without a secular life is stripped of sacredness. And not only is it stripped of sacredness, but it's also stripped of meaning. And that's led to what's called the meaning crisis. And we're starting to find out that you can't actually live life this way. Right. And so that's actually in the past, you know, you know, decade, well, a few decades has led to what's called re-enchantment. And, uh, you know, we've talked about people like Jonathan Peugeot and some of those who have talked about the inevitability, inevitability of re-enchantment, meaning that the world will be re-enchanted. Um, but the question is, is what's going to do the yep. re-enchanting? Um, unfortunately, for right now, it doesn't look like the Christi- that Christians, for the most part, we, we just don't have the worldview to do right. re-enchantment, to... to, to frame the world in a way that is different from how we're currently framing it. Um, but that's one of the reasons why we see such a rise in things like, you know, witchcraft and, and, and paganism and, you know, some of the things that we've talked about before. It's because people realize that those systems of thought um, provide meaning for the world, right? It gives you an identity. It gives you a story to participate in. It gives you a world that is not stripped of the sacred, right? Those things do overlap, right? The the seen and the unseen do overlap. And that's why there's such a rise in this stuff, you know? And we think that in order for us to be effective in the world the way that we need to, we need to have a solid foundation of the actual biblical worldview and how it provides for us enchantment for the world, right? right. And it does, right? Modern-day Christianity may not have it, but that does not mean that Christianity does not have it. It does have it, and we're going to start looking at some of that today. And we'll be fleshing that out a little bit deeper in uh, today's episode and then the next two episodes that will follow. We're, so today we're going to be looking at how Christianity re-enchants our view of the heavens. Uh, next week we'll do a chin wag, and we'll kind of reflect on this episode and do some more stuff. But uh, the week after that, we'll do another episode on how Christianity re-enchants creation and how it should form the way that we see that. And then after that, we'll do another chin wag, and we'll reflect on that episode. And then after that, the last episode, which should lead us right into Halloween, into October, uh, we're going to do an episode on how Christianity re-enchants the church. And so you'll you'll hear some overlap in today's episode, right? Some of that will will make its way, but we're going to flush some more of that stuff out fuller in the next three big episodes that we do. So we hope that you guys enjoy. So that's to kind of get our conversation started today. Uh, and that's why we think that this conversation is necessary. Um, so to start us off, we'll just kind of start with the biblical story, just kind of like we always do, right? right? Whenever we open the Christian scriptures, we are met with this God, right? Like Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So we see right off the bat a God who is separate from his creation, right? Which 
in the world in, in Israel's time, this would have been pretty much unheard of because in some of the surrounding mythologies, you know, in Israel's day, like in Egyptian mythology and Babylonian mythology, um, you usually saw the gods coming from the creation. Right. Like you see them coming from like the primordial waters and the chaotic waters and, you know, usually fighting another god, yep. right? Um, that kind of thing. But in the biblical worldview, we meet a god who is independent, right? He is separate from his creation. And so we see that he is all life so that all outside of him derive their life from him. So the language that the scripture uses is that we participate in the life of God. All things were created through him, uh, to him, and for him is the type of language that scripture uses, right? We actually participate in the life of God, and God is separate from his creation. Um, And so that's not all that we learn about this God as we work through the scriptures. We also learn very early on that he is triune we see that in some of the let us create man in our image and you know some of that type of language um and as the scripture and as the the revelation of god continues to progress as scripture the canon of scripture is you know uh, goes on uh, we also see that in fuller detail especially once we hit the new testament you know all of that but we learn that that god this god that we meet in the beginning is triune and he is uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And we learn that these three persons are co-equal persons, right? Which means that they, they, they are equal across the board, right? They're, this is what we call Trinity without hierarchy, right? There is no hierarchy in the Trinity, which is very important for us to affirm, right? Because there is a movement in evangelical theology right now. You really see it in the works like of Wayne Grudem and and some others in like his systematic theology, which is called the eternal subordination of the son. And basically what, you know, the eternal subordination of the son teaches is that Jesus was subordinate to God, the father from eternity, but that's not what we see in Scripture, and that's not what the church has historically confessed about the God that we worship. And, and actually, I want to have a conversation, you and I, about the Athanasian Creed. So the Athanasian Creed is an early creed from, you know, back, you know, from the early church. And it, it's, it, it really is hitting on this doctrine of the Trinity. Um, it's, uh, it's named after Athanasius, who lived from 293 to 373 A.D., um, and he was a champion of orthodoxy against uh, Arian attacks on the doctrine of the Trinity. So this is the reason why this creed was formulated. It's in response to uh, theological uh, heresies and errors that were perpetuated by the Arians. But here's what it says, and we're going to talk about some of this some. You know, uh, but it says, whoever desires to be saved should, all, uh, should above all hold to the Catholic faith. Okay. Uh, anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now, this, it says, is the Catholic faith. Okay, so it says if you want to be saved, you should hold to the Catholic faith. And so here it is. And it says it starts off by saying that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Right? The person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty coeternal. Right. So basically, right. what it's saying is that they are equal in glory. 
right? The Father has the same glory that the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has the same glory that the other two persons of the Trinity has as well. And not only that, but they are co-eternal, right? So that means that all three members of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity are, uh, are not begotten. Right, they, they they have always existed. So the the famous question that you usually hear people to ask is, well, what ha- what was what was there before there was God? Well, the answer to that question from the Christian worldview is nothing. God always was, right? Always is, and always will be. That's what it means to be eternal, right? Yep. There is nothing before. And so the interesting thing though is it says that all three persons of the Trinity is co-eternal. That means that there was never a point where the Father came into existence or the Son came into existence or the Holy Spirit came into existence. And the language that the um, the Athanasian Creed uses is here. It says, The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither, was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. So basically what it's pointing out there is that, like, nobody, like, like they didn't just, like, they, they are co- co-eternal, basically is what it's saying. Like, they are, are eternal. Like, Jesus Christ is eternally begotten. The Holy Spirit is eternally proceeding from the Father. They have no beginning, right? Um, and so it goes on down here, though, to say that... Um, let me find it here. That they are co-eternal with one, or co-equal with one another. We've already talked about that a little, but that's very important for us to to affirm, right? That they are co-equal. There is no hierarchy between them, right? Right. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal with one another. Um, and so we we go on though throughout the scriptures and. We also learn that this God that we're talking about, in essence, is spirit. Right? We see all throughout the the, the scriptures that um, God is like it talks about God being spirit. Right? He doesn't have parts. You know, he's simple. You know, that kind of thing. He's not constructed of parts. But um, and then we see later on, as as the scripture goes along, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, takes on a body. Right. Um, but we also learn that, that God is, some of his other attributes is he is unchangeable, he is omnipresent, he is omniscient, and he is omnipotent, right? That means that he is present everywhere. That's what it means to be omnipresent. Right. He is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, means that there's nothing that he can't do unless it logically contradicts who he is, um, and that he is... Um, omniscient which means that he is all-knowing and the picture that the scriptures give us is this is the only god like this right now scripture may use the word elohim gods to talk about you know the gods of the nations and you know uh created beings you know who uh act like you know the gods of the nations you know that kind of thing or even you know some other spiritual beings in the bible too we'll talk about that a little bit in today's uncut episode but um but this the case that scripture is making is that Yahweh alone is is this, right? This right. he alone is this. And so, um if you didn't know that, now you did. 
<laughs> right? But that's just that we we could go on and on and do an entire systematic theology on the doctrine of God. But we oh, yeah. we start that off that way to say what we're going to say next. And basically what that is, is that even though there is no hierarchy among God, among the members of the Trinity, there is hierarchy in heaven, right? There is. And so what we see is um, below God, the person of God in the scriptures, there is what is called his divine counsel. Right? We've talked about this a little bit before. Oh, right? yeah. Um, this episode's kind of bringing together in some ways, all of the things that we've yep. said so far. Um, but we see that below God in heaven is his divine counsel. So Dr. Mike Heiser, who we really appreciate, I actually have Unseen Realm sitting here next to me. Um, Dr. Heiser says that the, the divine counsel is God's entourage, right? They, You can kind of think about them as his staff team in some ways. Like God is the CEO, right? And they are his staff who assist him. Now, it's not that God needs assistance. God is sovereign, right? He, we've already talked about him being omnipotent, which means that he has all power, right? So that means that he doesn't need help with anything. But what we see in the scriptures is that um, God chooses to delegate things off to, well, we see his human family and Adam and Eve, right? God could have expanded the garden to the ends of the earth, but he gives that dominion mandate to man. Right, and it's the same thing with his heavenly family as well. With his divine counsel, he delegates this, uh, this stuff. Some of this stuff we're going to talk about off to them as well. But um, we see in Scripture though that the, his divine counsel—they are the highest of the spiritual beings mentioned. Right, they are the top of the pecking order. Right, and we see that really in the title "Sons of God." I mean, just think about the name, "Sons of God." I have a daughter. Yep. Right. And daughter is a name that denotes relationship, right? Closeness. I am her father. She is my daughter. And it's the same thing with this title, sons of God, right? It, it reflects a relationship that they have with God. They are close to him. They are his staff team, right? They are his entourage, that type of thing. And we actually see this explicitly, see them talked about explicitly in places like Psalm 82. And listen to what Psalm 82 says. Okay? It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. So there they are. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Now, we're going to talk about this verse a little bit more whenever yeah. in the uncut episode. And, uh, you know, some of, some of the things that come along with, with reading that. But, um, but we see here that basically... What's going on here is God has this staff team, this council, and they're not equal. God alone is God, right? Right. Even though it says that they are gods, they, they are the, the, these beings who are over the nations. We've talked about this a little bit before with Babel stuff and you know spiritual being stuff. But, um, but we see that he takes his place in them and he stands in their midst, right? And... Now, you may be tempted to say, well, is this like a heavenly staff team? Is this an earthly? But we learn in Psalm 89, um, in verses 5 through 8, that this is indeed a heavenly staff team. So it says, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly or the council of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to you, the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings 
is like the, the Lord. And here he is in verse 7. A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. So we clearly see that this council is in the heavens, right? And that right. God, they serve God. Um, and so that's their role, right? They assist God in making decisions and in carrying out his will. As We're, we're going to talk about this a little bit more with other spiritual beings too, but they do this in a, in a way that is different from them. They, they are closer in proximity. They actually get to, it's kind of like the angels. We're going to talk about this again. They kind of carry out this stuff in some ways, and these ones kind of get to participate in the, um, what should I say here, in the the making of some yeah. of these, you know, that kind of thing. Um, one of the places that we see this explicitly is in First Kings chapter twenty-two, verses thirteen through twenty-four. Well, we may not go to twenty-four; we'll go to twenty-three. But here we see the prophet Micaiah prophesies against Ahab, King Ahab. Now, if you don't know who King Ahab was, King Ahab was probably one of Israel's, uh, or one of uh, the nation's worst kings, okay? Like the scriptures, uh, actually he's, yeah, uh, he's, uh, what the scriptures actually talk about that he provoked the Lord to anger like no one before him. So this is an evil man, okay? This is not a good man. And so we see that uh, the prophet Micaiah um, declares, well, I'll just read the passage. And it says, And the messenger who was sent to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophet with one accord, uh, one accord are favorable, favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or should we refrain? So he's asking him, what should, should, I, should I do, right? All right. And he says, he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it to you, uh, give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing that is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each of them return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. And here's where it gets interesting. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all of the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. So we have this divine counsel language, right? The whole host of the whole host of heaven, right? They're standing at his right, right hand and to his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, right? That he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And one said to another thing, and then another t- said to another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out. And I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. And the Lord has declared disaster for you. So, basically what we see going on here is that God is in the midst of his council, his host. And they are decreeing 
they are participating in God's decree to uh, for disaster for Ahab. And basically, God's got his staff team together. And he says, hey, how, how are we going to do this? Right? It's not because he needs help. He's right. just giving them the opportunity to participate in the decision making. And they're like, you know, one says one thing to another. The other says something to another. And one steps up and says, listen, I'll go forth. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And this will lead to his destruction. Okay? So this is kind of a glimpse into one of God's divine council meetings. And so we see here that the role that they serve is assisting God in things, matters like this. So you got anything you want to add to that? Pretty wild, right? It is pretty wild. Yeah, it's, it's crazy it's, stuff. Yeah, it's kind of shocking in some, yeah. some ways. But you know, like I said, the thing to keep in mind here is that Ahab is an evil king. Yeah. Right? He is not a good, you know, it's it's kind of like one of those verses that if you don't understand the context, you're like, oh my gosh. This yeah. is, this it's is, easy to get carried away with it. Yeah, you're like, this is terrible, right? Yeah. But, but you know, Ahab is... He has provoked the Lord to anger unlike anyone before him. And so he's very, very evil character. So so that's the divine counsel, right? You need to be aware that this group of spiritual beings exist and that they assist God in his decrees, his decision makings, right? Um, we see them from before the foundations of the world in places like Job, right? Well, we've talked about some of these verses before, but in like uh, Job 1 and then Job 30, I'll have to go back and look at the verses. Um, I don't want to quote, but like we see that the sons of God were there before the creation and they were shouting for joy as God you know, made the creation. And that's them. That's the divine counsel, right? They were there cheering on God, assisting God, that kind of thing, and that's what they do, okay? So now the next section that we're going to talk about here are the angels oh boy now this should be interesting i think i think that for some we're going to talk we're going to tease this out i think a little bit further than what we have so far now we've talked about the hierarchy of angels before right we talked about it in a chin wag yeah yeah a few times yeah but i don't think that we've actually um talked about it quite like we're going to today but we basically see here that this spiritual realm this realm of heaven right it's densely populated Right, so God is there, His divine counsel is there. Now we're starting to get into the hierarchy of things here, yep. right? And then we also see that there is a hierarchy of angels there, right? So basically, the way that the church has talked about this and, and discussed this over the years is that there are three choirs of angels, right? And so, in the first choir of angels, basically, what they do is they contemplate God and they guard the throne of God, okay? So in this first choir, we see the seraphim, the cherubim, and the thrones, right? And so the seraphim, they are the burning ones. That's what seraphim yep. means. It, it, it also means fiery serpents, right? So if you ever see a picture of a winged serpent that looks fiery, that's a seraphim. You can find those all over the ancient world, but... But we see that what they do is they attend to and God's uh, attend to and guard God's throne and they are the ones that we see in the scriptures who are flying around the throne singing holy 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 is the Lord God almighty who was who is and who is in who is to come right and so below that in the hierarchy we see the cherubim and so basically what they do is their name means the fullness of wisdom and we see that they contemplate God's providence and they pers- they protect special places, sacred spaces. So we see that with Eden, 
right? What is it that God puts at the gate of Eden? Seraphim. Right. Right? And what's he got? A flaming sword. What's God put to guard the way to the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the temple? A veil with a cherubim on it. Yep. Right? What is it that Jesus tears on the cross? We talked about this last week in Ascending the Holy Mountain, that chinwag episode we did uh, last week. That veil gets torn, right? And it's the veil that's got the cherubim on it. But that's what their their purpose is, is they protect sacred spaces, right? Um, and then below them are the thrones. Now, as their name shows, they protect the throne guard of God. The throne. They guard yep. the throne, right? And they contemplate God's power and judgment. So... You got anything to say about that choir before we move on to the next one? No, I'm good. Yeah, okay. Well, the second choir is the... Uh, this this choir exists to carry out God's plan in the creation. So what we're seeing here is this hierarchy of angels is a hierarchy of beings. So it starts with God, it works its way out into the world, and it comes all the way down to mankind. You know what I mean? And so with these uh, this choir, uh, we see... The dominions, and so they kind of rule over the lower choirs, and they govern the universe, right? And then below them, we have what's called the virtues, and basically what they do is they operate the universe and the planets and the elements and the seasons and nature. And then below them, we have what's called the powers, and they assist also in you know, governing over the, the universe and operating the universe. And they're also depicted as warrior angels that fight against the demonic choirs, which are an inversion of these ones. But right. we can have a good conversation here on Tolkien and Lewis. That's what I was going to say. It's yeah. going to point right at the book. Yeah. So this reminds me of, in some ways, so Tolkien uh, and even Lewis in his Ransom trilogy, um, they kind of have this kind of structure with some of the spiritual beings in their world, right? So in yeah. Tolkien, I'm reminded of the Valar and the Maiar, right? right? I don't know if that's what you're reminded of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So basically, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, we talked about this in the Chinwag too. Like I said, we're, we're kind of bringing all this together. Yep. Um, the, the Valar kind of are tasked with uh, the operate or the, the governing of certain things, right. right? Like some of them are like tasked with, governing of the water, you know, planets. They're these high, high spiritual beings, right? And then the Maiar assist the Valar. Right. And they are the ones that kind of bring the process of operation of those things, right? So they right. kind of work together. And that's kind of what's going on here with, with this hierarchy, right? We see with the Dominions, they are given the task to govern the universe. And the Virtues are really the ones who do the operation. Right, and so, like, and they also are associated with like the elemental spirits. Oh yeah, like we've talked about, right? Like we've, yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit more, but we've we've talked about those in chinwags, right? And yep. basically, what they do is they govern you know, the nature, all that stuff. And this is the godly version of the elementals, right? Right. And so, and then obviously the powers. They uh, they assist with this kind of thing, so very interesting. So Tolkien doesn't get this from just out of nowhere, right? Yeah. He he was a Christian who was very uh, in tune with this. You know, him being a Roman Catholic, you know this this is really prominent in the thought of Thomas Aquinas, like in his Summa Theologiae. Um, you can even see it in Protestant thinkers. Some uh, he's a little bit more hesitant, but like Francis Turretin in his Institutes, 
like he's a very scholastic Protestant, and but he like and so he quotes Aquinas a lot. You know, he basically uh, he his take on it is there is certainly a hierarchy in heaven, but he doesn't think it's all named. You know, basically, and that, but he he affirms it more or less in in principle. But um, I mean, you even he- see you even see him in his writings him refer to the same kind of hierarchy that you see in paganism. They have the same sort of spiritual worldview there. That's really interesting. Um, there's definitely some some overlap here, especially in some of the things that we're fixing to talk about. So in the third choir, this is the one that interacts with humanity. Okay, uh, so in the third choir, we see the principalities, and in scripture, they are depicted as the princes. Right? That's like you see that in like Daniel ten. Right? You've got the prince of Greece. Prince of Persia, uh, Michael, who is the prince of Israel, you know that kind of thing. But basically, what they are, what they do, is they uh, are assigned to care for and to guard communities, kingdoms, states, parishes, like that entire thing. Right? They're also associated with uh, transitions in power. Right? right. So if you were to see one country invade another, right, and there was a war there and a transition of power. The way that ancients would have seen that is they would have seen this battle happening. Yeah, a lot going on behind the scenes. That's right. And which we've, we've talked about that a little bit with the Taliban stuff here, oh, yeah. here recently, right? Um, we mentioned that actually on our Instagram. Uh, so behind all of that, there's this, you see this earthly reality, right? And so the ancient person, so like, like people who have been influenced by secularism, Again, this is when heaven is stripped away from earth. The transcendence is stripped Absolutely. away. Absolutely, we see the the earthly part, right? Like we see these powers, like fighting and at war with one another. The way that an ancient person, like especially in Israel, and a person who has this biblical worldview in mind, what they would have done was they would have seen the earthly powers and realized that behind the earthly powers, that there was a fighting between these principalities, that right. type of thing, right? So it's like the the prince of it, I mean, it's Daniel 10. It's like the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia at battle with the prince of Israel, right? That's the worldview that's behind this. Yep. So so you should never, so, so so far, you should never just look at the stars and see stars, right? right. We're going to talk about that a little bit more towards the end too. Um, those are the sons of God, right? That's how ancient people would have thought, right? It's, they're certainly, they certainly are stars, but they're more than just gas balls, Right. Like in, <laughs> right. And Tolkien, you know, talks about this in his poem, uh, Mythopoeia. Um, he says, you see it's, you see trees and you just see trees. Or you look at stars and you just see balls of gas. Um, he talks about that, you know, he, like he, he and others who had this worldview, they looked at him and saw uh, something entirely more than just that. Um, actually, I would, I would actually want to pull that up real quick um if i can so he uh it's actually if you don't know what mythopoeia is it was a poem that tolkien wrote to lewis yeah when lewis was still yet uh a secular you know atheist but uh he says that uh you look at trees and just label them as so um and then he goes and he on down here he talks about let me find it Uh, yeah, he talks about stars here. He says, uh, "Who he sees no stars, who does not see them first of living silver made that sudden burst to flame like flowers 
beneath the ancient song. So basically it's the same type of worldview here. Like right. before like behind the stars, they are pointing to a greater reality than themselves. And it's the same thing with like earthly powers and war. That kind of thing, right? They are pointing towards heavenly powers, which are also at war behind the scenes in the heavenly unseen realm, right? That kind of right. thing. Yep. And so, uh, and so that's the principalities, right? And then the archangel below that are the archangels, and so they are leader angels that communicate and carry out God's important plans. Um, we see archangels named like um, Michael. He must be a super, super high archangel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, because he, he's given the title of prince. Like yep. the prince, the prince of your people in Daniel 10. So um, so there's some close association there between some of these spiritual beings. But uh, we also see others like, uh, you know, Gabriel. Um, I think that, in, and you can correct me here, because this is more your world than mine. But I've seen in, like, uh, paganism or in, like, maybe even witchcraft. There's a few other ones named there too. Oh yeah, it's like Uriel is one of them, and I Raphael. Think Raphael is another one. Those are associated with the four corners of the earth, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's some overlap with, uh, especially in Catholicism there, but I mean in paganism they take it beyond that. I mean there's just choirs and choirs of archangels that they list there. So yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, I remember I, I saw. Well, I think I maybe have talked about this before. If I've not talked about it on here, that I've talked about it with you. Um, I saw uh, there was a movie it was based on an H.P. Lovecraft uh, story called The Color Out of Space yep. and there's a girl there she's got like a pentagram dream, oh yeah you know, and I she, remember this she's like calling on the the princes right yep. the archangels and she names them you know so I think some of that also goes back into some second temple literature you know that kind of stuff too but but, uh, but below the archangels we have the angels who are the closest to the material world and to humanity right and basically what they do is they're, oh, they're, they're I just kicked something here on, on my desk if you weren't if you heard that so that's what it was but uh, but basically they're tasked with guarding humanity and communicating with humanity that's what angel means it means messenger and so this is also where the category of like guardian angels fits right totally fits with what they do in this oh, yeah. in this hierarchy um, also this is where you know, like the angels that you see in Revelation, like the church, like there are these stars, you know, over the church, that kind of thing. Like it's very, um, it's it's all throughout Christian, through the scriptures and the Christian history that, you know, angels guard things and that right. type of thing. So, yeah. So anyway. All right. You got anything else you want to add to that one? Not right now. No, not right now. All right. So. Now, this section should be interesting, I think, and that is re-enchanting the saints. And um, I suspect that this this section will probably raise some questions for listeners if they're able to think in a linear way. Right. Uh, but um, the next section that we want to talk about is how the saints play a significant role in heaven. And I think that this is most challenging because... <laughs> I don't think as evangelical Christians or as Protestants, we typically think about the saints playing a significant role. Right. That's what I was going to mention. Yeah. Like, I like, okay. So like, it's kind of like in, I grew up thinking it's like, well, when somebody dies, they kind of go to heaven and they sit on a cloud and they kind of play a harp. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and that, you know, in, 
some people even think that of themselves like one day i'm going to die and i'm going to go to heaven and i'm going to play a harp and on a cloud and you know or it's going to be this eternal worship service kind of thing but that's actually there certainly is worship going on in heaven we do see that but that's tip that's not all that's going on in heaven and that's not all that's going on with the saints interestingly right. enough so let me say this um so basically prior to the book of revelation we never see visions of heaven with humans in them okay so think of like isaiah chapter six right that's where the seraphim are around the throne and they're doing the holy 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 is the lord god almighty you know who was you know that whole thing um you know there are other places too you know like uh you see in some of the prophets people who are caught up into heaven and get heavenly visions that whole thing and in those we never see humans okay like we just don't now something happens and something changes whenever we get to the end of the book okay we get to revelation specifically revelation chapter 4 uh, verses 1 through 11 and listen to what it says there 4 1 through 11 says this um so john's called up into heaven he says after this i looked and behold a door was standing open in heaven the first uh, voice was speaking. I heard it speaking, and it said, Come up here. I'll show you what must take place. Uh, at once I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne that stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he sat there, and he had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. You know, But going on down here, uh, he talks about seeing the four living creatures on each side of the throne. Uh, they've got eyes in the front. <laughs> Eyes behind, pretty creepy. Uh, the first living creature is like a lion. The second one's like an ox. The third is like a the face of a man. The fourth is like an eagle in flight. And then on down, we see that there are, well, actually it's back in verse uh, three. It says, clothed in white garments around the throne were 24 thrones. Okay. And seated on the 24 thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. That's interesting. So now we have this picture of exalted humans, elders, in heaven. Not only are they in heaven, but they're given thrones in heaven and gold crowns. Right Now that's not the only place we see that. We also see that again in Revelation 11, 15 through 16. So there we see that uh, the an angel blows his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven. And they say the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then the 24 elders uh, who sat on their thrones before God fell on their face and they worshiped. So we learn that not only do they have gold crowns, not only do they have thrones, but their, crown, their thrones are before God, like close proximity, right? So we have to ask, like, what's going on here, right? Like, what, what has happened? Well, we talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we? Yep. Like, Jesus ascends the holy mountain, and the veil is tore, the holy of holies, right? Like, the cherubim no longer guards the way to paradise. And what happens is that he has opened the way back for humanity to enter back into paradise and to be in the presence of God. That's why you see humans in Revelation. Okay, But why are they given crowns? 
Why are they given thrones? Right? Such proximity to God. How do they get that? Well, basically, this is what glorification looks like. Right? The Bible talks about glorification, right? Right. Like, you know, Paul talks about in Romans, those whom he, you know, whom he predestined, you know, he's justified, and those he's justified, you know, he will also glorify. Right. Right. Um, this is what glorification looks like. It, it, it's being exalted, right? Like some of the language used throughout church history for this is things like angelization or uh, d- divination, or not divination, but, uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called, but like uh, theosis, you know, that kind of thing. Um, being one with God and, and participating in this divine nature thing. Um, being divinized is, is right. what I was going to say. That type of thing. Now, that doesn't mean becoming God. Now, like we hear that, and we that's immediately what we think as moderns, but that's oh, not yeah. what the church meant by it. Um, but it, it's, it's this state of glorification, of, of exaltation, right? And basically what's going on here, the reason why they're given crowns and, and thrones and such, such proximity to God is because... They have been exalted to God's divine counsel. All right. Which we, we talked about at yep. the beginning of this episode, right? Um, they are heirs um, of the nations, right? So basically what's going on here is this. Um, you, now, I can hear somebody saying that. They're like, whoa, right? Like you're using very high language of humans here, right? You're, you're talking about... Um, given thrones and crowns and like that probably makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, but that's Espe- going to step on some toes right there. Well, especially if you're a part of our camp, which is the reform camp. Oh, which, yeah. Like and if you're in the pop part of it, like the, you know, popular part of, uh, of the reform camp, um, you know, you're kind of led to believe that man is pretty much a worm. Yeah. And here he's got crowns in heaven. You know, that's a, a very different that's picture. That's way different. Yeah, that's a way different picture, right? And so basically what's going on here, though, is this. We, by faith, are united to Christ Jesus, right? We believe in his death, burial, and his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and his ascension as king, right? Right. That's a part of the gospel, the ascension. He ascends to the where? Right hand of God the Father, Okay. Now, what happens whenever we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension? We are united to him by faith, right? And Second Peter, uh, verses 1 through 4, talks about that whenever this happens, uh, it says that we become partakers of his divine nature, right? So basically what happens is he shares with us his nature. And not only that, but he delegates to us his rule and his reign over the nations as the king. Right. How do you get crowns? Christ gives you the crowns, right? Now, obviously, they're casting them you know, back at his feet because that's, this is a picture of, of unmerited grace, right? We've, we've not done anything to deserve these, so we cast them back at his feet, but that doesn't change the fact that he gives to us his rule and his ration, his his uh, rule and his reign over the nations. Right, right. Like if you finish the book, right? If you finish Revelation, like twenty one and twenty two, you notice that it talks about that whenever the heavenly city where God dwells comes back to the earth, it said it talks about the kings of the earth bringing to Christ like their gifts. You know the, these 
you know, this type of thing. No, why why does it do that? Like we're talking new heavens, new earth here, right? And yet there's a hierarchy there. Why? It's because Christ has made us a nation of kingdom, a nation and kingdom of priests and kings. It actually says that in Revelation. Um, Let me find it here. Um, Let me find it just real quick. I should have brought this up, but it was just a. Uh, it was like right off the top of my head. Yep. Them rabbit holes. Yeah. Uh, it's Revelation 1 6. Uh, but it talks about that Christ has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. And, um, you know, that whole thing. Revelation 5 10. It says, this is talking to, to God and uh, to the to Christ who is the Lamb here. But it says, you know, they sing a new song, worthy of you to take the scroll, because Christ is the one who's worthy to open it, uh, and to open its seals, because you were slain, and your blood you purchased them for God from those who are of every tribe, tongue, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, God, and they will, get this, reign upon the earth. That's shocking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's So that's why there are thrones that's why there are crowns that's why there is such proximity to god right because we 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 displace the corrupted divine sons of god who right rolled... that's what i was going to talk about was the interchange and characters there yeah well, well you know we talked about psalm 82 earlier yeah right well the rest of the psalm basically says this you know god takes his place in his divine counsel in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And he says to them, How long will you judge unjustly, show partiality to the wicked, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hands of the wicked? They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. Uh, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, You are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all of the nations. So, you know, basically he's referring here to the Babel story, right? The the spiritual beings that God puts over the nations at Babel, they rebel against God. They become the gods of the nations, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And basically God walks into their midst and says, you're going to die like men. Yeah. I'm going to, right? Like, even though you're princes, right? This is language used with principalities, that kind of thing. Even though you are princes, you're going to die like any man. And so, in the cross, God has executed this judgment. It's part of the gospel. Colossians 2.14 and through 15. We talk about this. I think I've read this verse, I don't know how many times on this podcast now. But in Colossians 2, um, it says this is a part of the, the work of Jesus. He says, He disarmed the rulers and the principalities. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has struck the death blow to the gods of the nations, to the old sons of God who are nothing but sons in name. Right. And the New Testament says this about us in Romans 8.14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are now sons of God. 
we get that title applied to us in the New Testament. And so God makes us his sons, and he brings us into his counsel. We displace the fallen sons of God from Psalm 82. And now, because we displace them, we rule and reign with Christ. This is the reason why we will reign on the earth. This is the reason why we're given crowns. This is the reason why we're given thrones. This is the reason why we're given proximity to God. Because we are now the sons of God. We are now the saints. The great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews, in, in the book of Hebrews, right? This great cloud of witnesses, the saints, we are the ones who have been installed over the nations and will finally be installed over the nations one day. That is a shocking reality. Oh, yeah. Compared to some of the language you usually hear, especially in our circles, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, this is also the backdrop of of some of Paul's statements about believers judging angels in the New Testament. So I I think that in order to maintain that view, that low view of humanity, and and I get it, you know, apart from Christ, we are these things. Right. Right. Apart from Jesus Christ, we we are broken. We are... um, we are uh, depraved. We, but there seems to be like a permanent fixation on those things. Yeah. Like no, they don't see the other side of it. That's, that's exactly right. It is a, I, I think that it is a low view of the atonement. Right. Right. It's a low, and it's an incomplete view of the atonement. It's low in that it does not grant full redemption to, to man. And it's, uh, it's incomplete because it doesn't address the, cosmic aspect to this stuff. You know what I mean? Right. But um, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6:3 talks about do you do you not know that you will one day judge angels? How does that happen? Right? How does how does a worm? <laughs> yeah. How does a how does a worm? Yeah, how's a piece of dirt? Yeah. How yeah. does how does that happen? Well, that's what union with Christ does. Right, it it lifts, it takes us. What well, to use the language of the Bible, from glory to glory, we are transfigured. Right, we are we are restored in the image of God. You know, some of the language that that the Bible uses. You know, like like I said, First Peter, you know, two, First uh, Peter two. Uh, what was it? What verse was it? Verse uh, uh whatever. <laughs> I didn't lost it. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but uh. Oh yeah, sorry. It's First Peter uh, chapter, Second Peter chapter one, verse three, four. It talks about that we we partake in His divine nature. You know, Ephesians four twenty four says that we have put on a new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, Hebrews twelve ten. This is you know, the one that talks about coming into the new heavenly Jerusalem and the church and worshiping together in the presence of the saints. Uh, he says that we share in God's holiness. That's amazing, right? Right. You know, um, well, First John 3, 2 says you know, similar things here. But that's what happens. We are united to Christ, and we participate in his divine nature. We share in his holiness. And so we outrank the angels because the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1 says that Christ has been exalted above the angels. So how do you how do you end up judging angels one day? 
union with Christ, right. who is higher than all of the angels, who has been given a name above every name. Um, you know, that's that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. Like, it really is the like the key to a lot to a lot of this stuff. Yeah, people but, uh, hear a lot hear this language a lot, but they don't really let it set in and think about what they're saying when they say some of these things. Yeah. Well, you know, it says, you know, here, it's like, uh, to which of the angels, this is Hebrews 1, you know, it says, uh, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, he brings the firstborn into the world, and he says, let all the angels worship him, right? Uh, of the angels, he says, Lick, uh, he makes his angel winds and his minister flame, his minister's a flame of fire. But, uh, you know, it goes on here and it says, To which of the angels did he ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So basically the point that it's getting here is that Christ has been exalted above the angels. And because we have been united to him, we also have been exalted among, above the angels. And therefore we will participate in the judgment of the fallen sons of God at the last day. All right. The ones from the whole Genesis 6 event. And not just them, but the others who have fallen as well throughout the course of history. So that's shocking. It is. It's, it really is. That's it's it's still you know really shocking. So you know also um, we've talked about star language applied to angels before, right? Well, not only do angels get star language applied to them, but also the sons of God, humans, the, the earthly sons of God. We also get star language applied to us as well, right? So one of the you know the, some of the first places that you see it is Genesis fifteen five and then Genesis twenty six four, when God is making a promise to Abraham. What does He say about His descendants? They're going to be as numerous nu- as the stars. Numerous as the stars. You're going to have ancestors that are going to be fixed in the heavens. They're going to be like these stars, right? And then right. Joseph has a dream in Genesis thirty seven and nine. You remember what that dream is? His brothers right. are like stars, and what do they do? Bow down to him. Yep. Right? And so what's going on here? The descendants of Abraham are the sons of God. We are the sons of God now, right? Right. Like this is a part this is a huge part of the gospel. Right? Like Paul talks about in Ephesians, like chapters three and four, that a part of the mystery of the gospel is that he has brought the Gentiles in. Right? He talks about that you were that we were strangers to the covenants of promise. You know, to the commonwealth of Israel and you know all of that stuff. But he basically says this. Um, it's chapter three, it's the mystery of the gospel. But he says um, that we have been brought in, that we have been brought together, and that in Christ Jesus, um, he has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, and he has made us one new man in him. So we are also, by faith, descendants of Abraham. And because of that, we also are sons of God, which means that we also are the stars that are fixed in the heavens. That's, I'm going to say it again, that's shocking. Yeah, that's heavy stuff. Yeah, that's that's very, very heavy. Um, Very heavy. Now, obviously, um, this touches on our identity as believers, right? 
Like there's so there's so much more that we could say right now. There's yep. so much more that I could say right now. I'm like fidgeting over here because I have <laughs> yeah, so much yeah. that I can say. And I'm trying my best not to say or to go down, you know, these rabbit holes. And the reason why is because we're going to talk about this more, right? Like we're just saying just enough today to whet your appetite to tune in to the rest of the series. Right. Right. Um, and if some of the things that we've said today has rocked your world, then good. It, that's, that's the whole point. Um, but we're, we're going to discuss in our next episode, which is going to be uh, re-enchanting the creation, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, like this identity part, because we're a part of the creation, right? We talk right. about God is independent. We participate in his life, all that stuff. So we're going to flush out this identity thing a little fuller in not next week's episode, but the week after that. So make sure to tune in. So, all right. So now we've come to today's, the last section of today's episode. <laughs> and this is always the fun part. It's the application part. Application time. So, what on earth can we like? Can we draw from this? Like, what kind of application do you think that we can draw from this? Yeah, what are people going to do with this? Yeah, like, what, like, what? Okay, well, so I've got I've got a few things here, and you can feel free to chime in here at any point you want. Um, it's going to kind of be like a hierarchy of being. This application, it's going to start with God, and it's going to work. It's kind of work its way down into the world. Um. Uh, we need to know that whenever we pray, this is the God that we're in communion with. Absolutely. You know, he is this God who is one God, three persons, um, who are co-equal. Our prayers should be Trinitarian. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, if these if these three persons are one God and are co-eternal co-equal all of those things have all the same attributes shouldn't our prayers be trinitarian i i think that some of us we we pray like i mean we play pray like that there is only one person yeah God. you're like pre-programmed to play to yeah. pray like that we pray like unitarians yep i think we pray to god the father and that's it but whenever you look at the beautiful beautiful prayers of the church right throughout history um they are beautifully Trinitarian. You know, one of my favorite prayers um, is the litany. Like, we pray the litany every Sunday, the great litany every Sunday at our church. And it's and here's what it says. Um, I'm not going to read all of it, but some of the parts that we, we read, it's it says, O God the Father, heaven and earth, creator of heaven and earth, have mercy upon us. O God the Son, redeemer of the world, have mercy upon us. O God, the Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, have mercy upon us. That's the language taken directly from the Athanasian Creed, right? Definitely not something you hear in, in churches, especially around here, very often. Yeah. And then it says after that, O holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons, one God, have mercy upon us. Right? And so I, I think, especially as, as Reformed folks, like, I think that a lot of us have a hesitancy to ask the Holy Spirit for something. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I remember J.I. Packer saying that the, the Holy Spirit's primary role, and I love J.I. Packer. I mean, if you look over there at my shelves, I have books from J.I. Packer over there. But I, he says that the Holy Spirit's primary job is to serve as a light that shines on Christ. Right. Which I think that's true to some extent, but 
wow, he's called the helper, <laughs> right? Like that's that's a, a little more than just shining the light on Christ. You know, it's being present with us, residing in our hearts, which has now become a temple where he resides, right? He he lives in our hearts in the same way that the theophonic glory cloud of God lived in the Holy of Holies whenever it descended onto the Ark of the Covenant. Right. Right. We, that's why Paul says that we have become temples now, because we are the place where God resides. So he's doing more than just shining light on Christ. He is called the helper, and he helps us pray. Right? Like that's it. Paul in Romans. He helps us pray when we don't have the words. So we worship this God, this Trinitarian God. And he has all these things that we, we talked about at the beginning of the episode to set this episode up. We need to have prayers that reflect this reality. And we need to know that whenever we pray to God, this is the God we're praying to. So, you got anything you want to add to that? I mean, especially growing up in church, in these country churches around here, they, there's almost a stigma to praying to any other member of the Trinity besides God the Father. I mean, yeah. it's all but taught that you focus the prayers toward God the Father. Yeah. and Well, you know, uh, I get it. This is one God. Right. But there are three persons. Right. Right. And, you know, in the Athanasian Creed talks about that, um, that, you know, in these three, that they are distinct persons. Right. It says that, that we shouldn't blend together. It says that we, we worship one God in Trinity, in the Trinity in unity, but never blending their persons. Right. Not, nor dividing their essence, for the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and the person of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory is equal. Their majesty is co-eternal. So right. we should have prayers that reflect that. And the great litany is a prayer that beautifully, beautifully reflects this. So, no, Definitely not something that I was ever introduced to until like the higher church traditions. Yeah. All right. So the next point of application, I would say, and this is going to give a little bit away for our re-enchanting the church episode, which will be uh, not, not it'll be the last episode in this installment on re-enchantment. But you need to know as well, and we've talked about this a little bit before, and we're going to talk about it in fuller detail whenever we get a chance, but um, you need to know that whenever you come to worship in the church, you worship in the presence of this heavenly hierarchy that we talked about today. (sighs) That's shocking. It's a, you know, I, you know, I've counseled some of our congregants and our parishioners and at times and, you know, through hard seasons where they've lost loved ones. And, you know, some of the things that, you know, we've talked about is like, you know, do our loved ones, do the saints, you know, the great cloud of witnesses, do they, they know what's going on on earth? You know, and I, you know, one of the things I always hear is like, no, I don't think that they could handle that no yeah you know, you know that's one of the things that you hear yeah like, i don't think that they can handle knowing what's going on on earth so that and of course they don't but but the reality folks is that scripture is really clear they do you know this is one of the reasons why sometimes they you see the saints in like revelation crying out like how long O lord right that kind right. of thing and um but we we learn clearly though from hebrews chapter 12 that whenever we come to worship not only do we worship in the presence of the living God, but we also worship in the presence of his divine counsel, the hierarchy of angels, and the saints. 
So it says this, Hebrews 12, 22. But you, talking to the believer, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering. So you have come into the presence of God in your worship, right? But you also come into the presence, it says, of myriads upon myriads. That's a hundred thousand. <laughs> over, wow. yeah. over a hundred thousand. Innumerable is why why the ESV says this. Innumerable angels in festal gathering. It's like this festival. You know, that's the imagery that it's that it's drawing here. But that's not all. Verse twenty three. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We come into the presence of the saints. Right. This whole heavenly hierarchy that we talked about today, that's they are a part of our worship. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Worship is a nexus event. Right. Right? It's it is this event where uh the present, the past, and the future all come together in one moment, right? And the saints are present with us. Right. They, they do know what's going on. And it's, this is... It's like this great continuation. It's this great... That's exactly right. Like, they, they aren't dead. Right. <laughs> like, this is the reason why Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus on the Mount <laughs> yeah. of Transfiguration yeah. that we talked about last week. Right, like I feel like that this is literally just us bringing together everything that we've said. Yep. Um, this is the reason why, like, the saints show up there, like they're not dead. Like, sure, their bodies, are dead, but we live. Right, like you dying and your loved ones dying. That's that is not the end. That is a very secular way to think about this, and to think that there is no overlap between the two. You like now, the Christians were like, oh, of course, of course, our loved ones are in heaven. But we don't interact. That's just a step away from secularism. Right. You know what I mean? Like you are literally just dipping your toes into the water. You're separating heaven and earth so that the two are no longer joined together. And Paul, I think it's Paul. Paul says here that in the corporate worship of the church in Hebrews 12, that they are joined together. Right. So what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. It's the old wedding words. The old wedding words. <laughs> right. What God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. So so know that that you are um that you are worshiping in the presence of these the hierarchy of heaven. Right? And um also know that whenever you invoke the name of God, our God, who is omnipotent and omnipresent, fills that space that his name is invoked in. Right. Like, that's how it works in, like, the occult, right? Like, you invoke the name of a spiritual being, and what happens? Like it fills, exactly. Like it fills that place, right? Yep. Like, and you even have, like, you know, symbolism and things like that to, like, you know, bind them and, you know, that whole thing. But it's the same It's the same here, right? When we invoke the name of the triune God, the triune God shows up. That's what happens in our worship. How does that happen? How does God show up here in West Virginia, rural West Virginia where we're at, in this building that we're in, yep. and also all across the world? Well, you can do that when you're omnipotent and omnipresent. Right. Right. And so 
know that, right? That he fills our space and that we worship in the presence of this great cloud of witnesses. And I mean, some of the artwork even we've been looking at recently yeah. as depicted these things pretty cool. Yeah, beautifully. Yep. And I would say lastly, and this is working out into the world now, um, this, this should change the way that we um, do things here on the earth, I think. Um, so we live in an age right now of social justice. I'm not a fan of social justice movement, of the social justice movement. I've been very vocal about that yep. over the past few years. You've been very vocal about that over the past few years. Um, and here's the reason why I'm not a big fan of that. I'm, I'm, it's not that we're not fans of justice. Right. There's biblical justice, and that's found in the Bible, right? Um, but we are not a fan of secular justice apart from God. We're, we're heaven and earth are separated, right? Right. Which is what we've been talking about this whole episode. Um, so I think that that's what social justice really is, and and a lot of the stuff that we see in our culture today, it is an attempt to separate justice from its source in heaven. And one of the ways that you see that working out is in this egalitarian, democratizing spirit that wants to tear down hierarchies, right? All right. Like everybody, everything's got to be equal. Like everybody has to have the same outcome. Oh, yeah. it's not. It's not just that. It's not just that everybody has to have the same opportunity, you know, or things like that. It's that everybody has to, there has to be equal outcome, you know, that whole thing. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, you even see it in the church with leadership, a, a democratizing of the leadership where we open it up to like, it's everybody like the, the people rule, you know what I mean? Um, and we see it even in, you know, governments and, and things like that. And that is so contrary to, to what is in heaven that it's not even funny. Right. Like, whenever we pray, folks, uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that prayer, we're not praying for democracy or egalitarianism. We're praying for hierarchy. Right. Why are we praying for hierarchy, Richie? Because there is hierarchy in heaven. Absolutely. As we've seen today. Right? We're asking for a king. We're asking for something. And this is the reason why Israel's government looked the way it is. Why why was it that Israel had a monarchy instead of a constitutional republic? Why Why didn't they have a democracy? Why did they have a king? Because heaven has a high king. Right. Right? Why did they have elders and, you know, that whole thing, right? Because there are elders in heaven, right? There's this hierarchy. And so we should be people who aren't seeking to tear down hierarchies, but we should be people who are who should be concerned with reforming them and establishing good ones that reflect the hierarchy that's in heaven. I think that that's challenging, especially. I mean, I like I. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like I saw something on the other uh, the TV the other day that said that if you were against democracy, 
you were a terrorist. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. And so I'm like, but like, God's not into democracy. Like, that's not what we see in heaven. And we are called to be a people who bring heaven to earth, right? Like we are, as a people, we are little pockets of heaven here on earth. We are citizens of another kingdom living in a different way, right? So what I would say is, like, do not give in to the egalitarian, democratizing spirit of the age. Yep. It is a spirit that is different than the spirit of God. And, um, yeah, I think that's about all that I've got to say about that. Like, like, like hierarchy is not a bad thing. I mean, think about what happens if you say hierarchy is bad. You right. just said that what's going on in heaven's bad. Yeah, and that language of monarchy, is, it's going to be kind of tough, especially for people in the United States. Right, yeah, right. I, and I get it. Like, I'm an American. We're, we're Americans and, you know, that whole thing. But, you know, that's... I mean, I think that's why uh, the ancient world all over, I mean, even in Great Britain today, why they formulate their government structures the way that they do. Yeah. yeah. With it, the it, monarch and the court. It's like, yeah. it's a reflection of God and his divine counsel. It, that's exactly that's what it is, and it's got you've got the you know the college the whole college thing going on there that that's kind of a, a level below the the you know the monarch or the whatever you know that whole thing you know that's, princes dukes right princes dukes you know all of that stuff yeah um, it's all modeled off of this hierarchy um, you know and that's even why you see you know different types of uh, you know uh, church governments right in diff- in higher traditions like why you've got you know, a you know bishops, and then you've got a col or you've got a college of cardinals, and you've got a you know bishop. And I'm not saying that I'm a fan of the Roman. I think that it's got problems. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm just saying that that's the the thought behind it, right? Yep. Like um like even like there are even Protestants that have this type of, um this type of polity, like like the Church of England, uh, or you know the Anglicans, like the ACNA, like they have like archbishops and things like that like there's there's a reason why it's because it's seeking to to imitate um what we the hierarchy that we see in heaven so i mean you can't really get away from it i mean even in these little country churches there's still an essence of hierarchy and yeah built in that's right yeah and yeah there it's inescapable yeah hierarchy is inescapable like it's it's just it will it's going to manifest itself in every, in every area of life, you can't escape it. Like, right. you know, even if you come in, like, I mean, just think about it right now. Like with the whole entire, you know, social justice movement, like we're tearing down hierarchies. Why? So that we can build new ones. Yep. <laughs> paving the way for the next yeah, one. Paving the way for the next one, you know, with, with our, you know, democratic, you know, leaders and, you know, all that stuff and, you know, I'm not. We're not saying that there isn't real oppression out there, and right. You know, things that we shouldn't be that we should be that we shouldn't be concerned about. There are those things out there, and as God's people, we should speak against those things. But we must do it in a way that does not separate justice from the just God who is in heaven. So, um, man, there's so much more I want to say on this. Like I, I can, <laughs> yep. like, uh, I don't know. Man, it's hard to, to lay the foundations in these first episodes of the series and not just dive right into it right yeah. off. This is always the struggle. Yep. Whenever we have the first episode of a series, it's so hard to not just dive in head first and be here for five hours. Yep. Like, I know that people would listen if it was five hours. Like, people would probably love it. 
Like people love like the two hour, you know, two and a half hour episode that yep. we dropped. Like people loved it. So I don't know how long have we been talking now. I'm not sure. Um, I haven't been keeping track. Hold on a second. Let me let me look here, real quick. Um, an hour, only an hour, and nineteen minutes. So that's not bad. Not bad. No. Um. So, yeah. Um. But here's my thought. Like, you know, uh, the thought is hierarchy is bad. Um, because it's just naturally unjust, but right. that's not true, right? Like we see hierarchy in heaven, but I think that in some ways that it's a you're going to have injustice regardless of what system that you have. Like with democracy, you've got mob rule. Right. Like what happens whenever you have an entire just unjust people who are making the decisions? Well, now you have more than just one unjust person who's calling the shots. Now you have an entire civilization of unjust yep. people calling the shots, right? You know, you know, it's like, you know, even a constitutional republic has its own problems in some ways. You know, like, uh, what happens whenever you represent a people who are unjust? You know? It's, it's the same problem in some ways. Um, so, I mean, I don't think that any system is without problems. I think that all systems are have, can because of human sinfulness, can right. have issues. But... Um, but yeah, I think that we should be seeking to replicate the hierarchy that we see on, in heaven here on earth. And I don't think that's something we should be ashamed about. I don't think that's something that we should, um, um, something that we should cancel. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's any of those things. I think that it is God. It, I mean, it's, it's like this: God gives Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle, right? He gives Noah the blueprints for the ark. Um, God gives us the blueprints by pulling back the curtain that had the cherubim guarding the way to it and letting us peer in heaven, right? He gives us the blueprint, so why not use it? Yeah. So, All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up for this week's edition of The Sword and Staff. Richie and I are going to continue this conversation, and it's going to be available, uh, available exclusively to our patrons over at Patreon. So, if you'd like to hear the uncut version of this week's episode, which is going to continue on after we sign off, head on over to www.patreon.com backslash Sword and Staff Order. You can get the Sword and Staff uncut for just five bucks a month. We are starting to build a thriving community on Patreon. Yep. Right? We've had a lot of people sign up. We've had a lot of lot more people sign up even for other tiers, right, than just Sword and Staff Uncut. And those people are going to start getting things like Sword and Staff swag and, and um, access to our exclusive Discord server. Um, even publication stuff that we're, we're thinking about dropping here in the next, you know, hope, you know year, whatever. Yep. Um, we're planning on maybe transcribing some of Maybe we'll try to transcribe some of this stuff, turn it into some uh, books to get out there, you know, in that type of form. But um, those people, they get access to this stuff. They get it first, and they get it for a, a steep, steep discount. Some of, most of it for free. So... Um, if you guys are listening and you're interested in that, head on over to Patreon and become a patron there. So Richie and I will be back next week with a chinwag edition of the Sword and Staff. Um, and we're going to be reflecting on this week's episode. Um, maybe we'll take some questions if we get any between now and then. 
Well, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. We also need to catch up on Hellier stuff. I know that people have been asking about Hellier. Yep. Uh, we wanted to give people time to watch it, and it looks like that people have watched people it. People have watched like, it, yeah. I, Like, we're getting comments from people. It's like, I watched Hellier. What are you guys going to talk about? Yeah, like, you gave us the homework. Now let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, like everybody's ready. So we need to get back on Hellier in our chin wags. And, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll probably be doing some of that in the next one. And then after next week's chin wag... Uh, we'll come back with our second episode in our reenchantment series, which will be on how Christianity reenchants creation. So uh, we touched on a little bit of that stuff today. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. We're going to see how Christianity brings deep meaning to creation and how all of the things that are there point to something much deeper and bigger than this themselves. Right. Um, there is a lot of. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not going down the rabbit hole. I'm trying my best to not. <laughs> like go. I refuse to go down this rabbit hole. I'm not right going now. down the rabbit hole right now. All right. So we've got a lot to say, yep. obviously. So make sure to tune in over the next few weeks. Uh, head over to Patreon, uh, get the uncut editions, and we'll see you guys next week. See you then. See you guys.